Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, assistant sports editor, flying solo this week. Ted Colfin is off, but we do have his Red Wings rankings, position by position. This week, he ranks the defensemen. Plus, we'll have an interview with the top defenseman in the draft, Jamie Drysdale, next week. He'll take a look at the forwards, and we'll talk with the top European forward in the draft, Tim Stutzel. The following week, he ranks the goalies. The interview there will be with Griffin's goalie, Pat Nagel of Bloomfield Hills. But first, the top five defensemen in the system. Number one, Philip Heronik. Ted likes Heronik's competitiveness and how he responded to a larger role. Number two, Moritz Mo Sider, who will be on next week's podcast with Stutzel. Ted likes Sider's potential and sees him as a long-term top pair defenseman. Number three, Danny DeKaiser. He only played eight games because of a back injury, but Ted says DeKaiser is a top four defenseman when healthy. Number four, Patrick Nemeth signed as an unrestricted free agent last summer. Ted says Nemeth is a rarity back on the blue line, a classic big defensive defenseman. Number five, Gustav Lindstrom. He was called up late in the season, but Ted liked Lindstrom's steady, calm play. Dennis Cholosky was number six. Ted says Cholosky hasn't been good enough defensively and needs to play with more of an edge. The other defensemen ranked in order are Alex Baiega, Madison Bowie, Jared McIsaac, Dylan McElrath, Brian Lashoff, Joe Hicketts, Albert Johansson, Antti Tuomisto, Gustav Berglund, Seth Barton, and Casper Kotkinsalo. The uh, complete list of top 50 players in the organization will be in Thursday's paper, and you can find them online at DetroitNews.com. Time now to hear from a potential Red Wing, Jamie Drysdale, and his coach in Erie, Chris Hartsburg. We're joined now by 17-year-old Jamie Drysdale, the top-rated defenseman for the 2020 NHL Draft, a member of the Erie Otters of the Ontario Hockey League, and a possible draft choice for the Red Wings, especially if Detroit drops a few spots in the lottery. Jamie, earlier this year, we talked to your longtime friend, Quentin Byfield, the number two ranked player from the Sudbury Wolves. And of course, he welcomed the idea of being drafted by almost any team, but he definitely knew about the history of the Red Wings, the Lindsays, Eisermans, Lidstroms. You and Quentin grew up in the Toronto area together. Were you Leaf fans? Do you know much about the Red Wings? Yeah, you know, I, obviously, um, I, I was a Leaf fan. I still am. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the Red Wings are definitely an organization that goes back for a while. And um, just a team that I'm sure most kids are, uh, most hockey people know know a bit about. So I think, uh, like you just mentioned, the um, Eisermans and Lindstroms, I think, are names that you can't can't miss. And uh, I think they're definitely special players that have obviously 
uh, made a name for themselves and made uh, helped make a name for the organization. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as a Leaf fan, the Wings had a nice stretch there. So what was it like cheering for a team? Was there a lot of teasing? The Red Wings won four cups over like an 11-year period there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, obviously, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm undeniably a Leafs fan. I think I'll <laughs> cheer for them. For, uh, I'll definitely cheer for them whenever I have the opportunity. But like you said, uh, there was definitely a stretch where the Red Wings had had a lot of good moments making it, uh, winning Stanley Cups, making it to the finals over a bunch of years. So I think um, definitely a really good organization, which uh, has done really well for themselves. Jamie, why do you wear number four? My dad was a big uh, fan of Bobby Orr when he when uh, he was really when he was younger. So I think just that that uh, that aspect of it. I think obviously um, one of arguably the best defensemen to play the game. So I think that's definitely. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I wear it, and I've I've worn it my whole life. So was my my brother wore it when he played. So I think it was just uh, something that um, we stuck with, and it, it's been working. You know, uh, Quinton was leading the OHL in scoring. Uh, certainly, when we talked to him before the Under Twenty Worlds, he was injured for a little bit. He's thirteenth in scoring, uh, only forty five games. He's got thirty two goals, eighty two points. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like facing him? Erie doesn't play Sudbury that often, but if you could let our fans know here in Detroit um, what kind of player that, that, you know, when he's coming down the ice with all that speed and size, what it's like, uh, Jamie. Yeah, I think, uh, I think what you just said pretty much sums it up. I think uh, with his size and the ability that he has, whether it's um, just hit the hands, the hands that he has or uh, his speed, I think it's, it's, it's just made for a dangerous combination and just, uh, to sum it up pretty good, I think it's just someone, he's someone who can dominate a game, and I think that's what you want. The uh, Central Scouting midterm rankings have you ranked third behind Alexi Lafreniere and Quinton. I want to just quickly ask you about two players in the OHL who were ranked fourth and fifth. Um, Saginaw's Cole Perfetti, he's second in scoring with 111 points, and Ottawa's Marco Rossi, he's ranked fifth and leads the league with 120 points. So it may not be entirely fair just to uh, focus on two players, Jamie. But um, again, if you could let us know what it's like uh, facing Perfetti and Rossi. Yeah, I think uh, I think their numbers speak for themselves. I think every time they have the puck, they're dangerous, and I think that that, that shows in, in their abilities and how uh, how well they've been producing this year. Um, you know. Perfetti's another guy that I grew up uh, playing against, and um, so I think just he's just a dangerous player. Who every time he has the puck, he can he's dangerous to make something happen. And Rossi, um, you know, I haven't played against him too much, but um, from what I've heard, from what I've seen, just everything that um, comes with him, I've heard he's an unbelievable player himself as well. Jamie, what's it like playing uh, defense in the Ontario Hockey League? Your coach, Chris Hartsburg, said that your individual numbers could be a lot higher, that you put those on the back burner. You're 13th among OHL defensemen with nine goals, 38 assists, 47 points in only 49 games. But what is, what's it like playing in the OHL? It's your second year. You played as a 16-year-old, and now you're 17? It's definitely a lot of fun, I think, just the – the friends you make on the team, the fact that you're um, with your teammates constantly, and just the fact that it's such a comfortable environment in which you get comfortable with so many guys, whether it's the coaches, the staff, or or your players, uh, players on the team. So I think it's just been um, an unbelievable two years, and I couldn't have asked for anything different. How has the team played this year? You're in eighth place, a top eight teams make the playoffs. Jamie, uh, Chris Hartsburg said, 
you guys would be ready to face a team like London that is one of the powerhouse teams. First, you've got to get into the playoffs. Can you tell us a little bit about your team? There's four other players as well who are ranked pretty highly for the upcoming yeah. draft on Erie. So, Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of our team. I think we're a team that when, when we come to play and play um, our style of hockey, which is just um, kind of just being a harder team to play against, I think uh, obviously you have those powerhouse teams, but I think when we play a, play a shutdown game and um, just – play a smart game, play, play the right way. I think uh, we can play with anyone. Can you talk a little bit about um, your skating and maybe when it was developed? Chris said oftentimes players like yourselves, you've already gone to skating coaches at 12, 13, 14 years of age. We just talked to Jake Sanderson, who's rated behind you, whose dad taught him um, a lot of pivots and, you know, reverse C's and skating backwards and, and phrases that we're not quite sure why you guys are able to, to move left and right. But could you talk a little bit about skating, what you've learned and, and, and what you're trying to improve on right now? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think with skating, it's, it's something that you can always get better at. I think there's, mm. um, it's something that you have to nitpick in order to improve. I think um, everyone can everyone can skate, everyone's fast at, at the next level, and even in the, in the Ontario League. So I think um, it's just finding the little things that can put you overboard and just um, have, help you have that little edge. And um, for me, I think it's just, it's something that um, I've always been confident with. So the fact that, um, and I want it to continue to be that way. So I think uh, just working with skating coaches for the past, uh, for the past um, couple summers and just stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, I think, it's definitely something that I'm continuing to work on and something that I want it to continue to be uh, one of my strengths. Yeah. Jamie, your coach had a funny line. He says he wishes he could skate like you for a day just to see what it feels like. And, and, and your coach got to see um, Connor McDavid skate uh, yeah. in Connor's uh, rookie season. He's not comparing the two of you different positions and things. I asked mm-hmm. Chris Hartsburg though, what does it mean? Like, when you have that speed and tight, uh, tight spaces. And he says that you, you know, a defenseman like yourself um, with skating ability can close gaps. He says, carry pucks under pressure, a close in on checking situations. Yeah. How do you see that stop and start in the corner, getting in and out, uh, making the quick pass? Like, how do you, how do you see that part of your game? Yeah, I think, I think um, I'm confident in my skating. So I think that closing gaps is definitely a big thing, big thing for me. And just uh, trying to take away time and space from forwards. Um, like, like you mentioned earlier, um, yeah, I play against guys like um, Byfield, Perfetti, Rossi, those guys. So I think uh, yeah, guys with that kind of skill, you don't want to give them any time and space. So I think uh, anytime you can close your gap on them and take away their time, you need to be able to do that quickly to prevent them from being dangerous. Jamie, your coach and I also talked about NHL defensemen and OHL defensemen really under six feet tall. You're 5'11". Cal uh, McCarr is 5'11". He went fourth overall in 2017. And it's possible um, if the Red Wings drop from the first selection down to four that similar to last year when they took uh, Maurice Sider, a defenseman, over um, you know different players like Cousins, who you played with on the in the uh, Dylan Cousins uh, on the world junior team. Where do you feel um, a defenseman like that uh, fits in? Because someone like Makar, we were saying, on that team, there's six foot five Ryan Graves. Uh, Zadorov, Nikita Zadorov is six six. 
Eric Johnson, 6'4". Uh, how do you see how you fit into some of the defensive cores? Because clearly there's a lot of big defensemen, but most teams have like a Quinn Hughes or a defenseman like Ryan Ellis that can uh, can move the puck quite well as, as well. Yeah, I think um, it's all a matter of finding a balance between um, different types of players. I think that that's um, what you need. You need diversity among your uh, your back end. So I think, um, like you said, you, like, you, you need those guys that are big and can play um, that really solid uh, defensive role and um, be big mean presences out there. So I think uh, I can just bring a quick transition game and um, mm-hmm. just move the puck up quick, make smart plays, um, be a good per, uh, first pass kind of guy, just little things like that. Um, be a good puck mover. I think that that's just the role that I, I can play. Jamie, how fast is the game now, even in the OHL? Like, can you maybe not quantify it, but you've been in the league a couple of years. Like, can you give our fans an idea just how, how fast things are when the puck is turned over? Yeah, for sure. I think um, you just have, um, it's definitely a fast league. Um, you, you definitely need to adjust coming in as a 16 year old. And I think um, like anything, once you play more games and become more comfortable, um, then you adjust quicker. So I think, um, it's just something that you need to adjust to and um, begin to get comfortable with. I think that the higher, uh, the quicker you can make plays and um, use your brain to see what the next option is going to be, then I think the better you'll adjust. Are you seeing the game better now? Is that sort of a natural uh, progression, your second year with the, uh, with the Otters? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, for me, a big thing is um, building confidence, having confidence in the plays I make and being confident in the play mm-hmm. I'm about to make. So I think, um, you know, getting more games under my belt and um, being um, in my second year, I'm definitely um, more confident to make plays. If I see a play, I'm going to I'm gonna make it. So I think um, that's just kind of how, how it works for me. And I think, um, you know, once you adjust to the speed and um, kind of get a grasp of how things are going, then I think you'll succeed. Jamie, two questions about international tournaments. Last year at the Under-18 World Championships, which will probably be – cancel here this year in Ann Arbor and Plymouth. You were plus seven in seven games, um, playing even as almost an underage there as well. So can you tell me what that experience was like, one of your first big international tournaments? Yeah, that was awesome. I think, um, you know, I was playing – I was a – I consider an underager. Um, Most guys going into their draft year. But, um, you know, it was definitely a really good experience for me playing against uh, that type of competition. And, um, at the same time, I think um, just being around those guys um, that were there, like you said earlier, guys like Cousins, um, just the guys like that that you play, uh, I got the opportunity to play with and play alongside. I think um, seeing how they um, like just hold, conduct themselves on and off the ice is definitely a big learning curve for me. And then this year, Chris Hartsburg and I talked about the semifinal game against Finland when Bowen Byram couldn't go. You had been a little further down the depth chart, but moved up. You scored a goal against Finland. You played more than 20 minutes. And we were saying that sometimes scouts look to see how players react when they're thrown into different situations. I wonder what your thoughts are now looking back. Um, Chris thought that you had been playing well up to that point. Looking back now, what do you? How do you see how that turned out for your team and yourself? Yeah, you know, uh, it was a pretty funny story how that how that came about. Um, but no, I f- kind of found out that I would be playing a bigger role um, probably five ten minutes before the puck drop. So um, you know, it's, I think it's just something you got to embrace and 
um, like I talked about earlier, just confidence, having confidence in your in your game, and that know that you're there for a reason. So I think that that's just kind of what I what I look to do. And um, you know, it was it was definitely one of one of the best hockey experiences in my life. Jamie, uh, Chris said it can be stressful as you're getting ready for the uh, well. First of all, the playoffs and maybe a first round matchup against you know a really strong team, maybe like London. But Chris thought that there is some stress for players like yourself and Quinton. How are you handling it? Is it just one day at a time and you'll deal with the combine and all the interviews and, you know, going to the NHL uh, playoffs and then getting ready for Montreal with your family? So is that something you think about or, or um, what, how do you feel about that right now? Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely um... – there's definitely stress there. I think um, it's undeniably a big moment um, in my life. So I think, um, yeah, it's definitely stressful. But um, in saying that, I think um, the guys you're around, like, I, uh, yeah, you're around your your best friends, um, you're around your teammates. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of people that you can go to to talk to about anything. So I think it's just the, the fact that it's such a comfortable environment and you know that there's people um, there to support you and help you. I think that that helps a lot in, uh, in, getting, through, in getting through it and just that. Uh, just enjoying it. I think that that's um, probably the biggest thing. I think um, enjoying this, this is a really exciting time as well. So I'm um, just doing what I can to enjoy it and make the most of it. We're joined now by Chris Hartsburg, the coach of the Erie Otters for the past three years, including the last two seasons with top ranked defenseman, Jamie Drysdale. Chris, we talked about Jamie last month before the final central scouting rankings came out. He was rated the third best North American player behind Alexi Lafreniere, and Quinton Byfield. For our Red Wings listeners, though, what kind of player would Detroit be getting if they fall out of the top two in the lottery, Chris? What would you like to tell the uh, Detroit listeners, the fans, what type of player Jamie Drysdale is? Well, he's certainly a new age defender. Um, you know, he's, he's a kid that skates extremely well, thinks the game extremely well, uh, is able to contribute at both ends of the ice, um, and is really an all-situation player. Um, but, you know, on top of that, you're getting a kid that's, you know, a top-rate human being as well. He'll be a leader on whatever team is fortunate enough to draft him in short time, and, you know, a kid that really will represent uh, the organization, the city, extremely well just because, of, like I said, the type of person he is. We also talked about Jamie skating uh, last time. Uh, you said you wish you could skate like him for just one day. How is his skating, though, different from, say, Connor McDavid's, who – you coached in Erie as well, different positions, different players, but how would you compare the two skating styles? Obviously, Connor, his strides are so quick, and he's able to just build so much momentum off the ice. And, you know, I think Jamie's relatively similar where he doesn't have a, you know, really um, super long stride, but he, he's so quick with it. He's, you know, he's got a wide gait, which allows him to, you know, to manage his, his, his turning and, and, and all that really well, but it's, it's his edge work too that just allows him to pick up speed out of corners and, and you know, and turn up ice quick and, and, you know, really get those first three strides going. And, you know, I think, you know, there's, there are some similarities, but certainly, you know, I, I think Jamie would be the first one to tell you I don't think he's on the same level quite yet as Connor is, so. You also told me, uh, Chris, last time about a lot of uh, a lot of players nowadays go through skating schools and uh, have a lot more knowledge about uh, the stride and edges and, and skating backwards. 
I asked Jamie that and he said, yeah, the last couple of summers he's really worked on it. And he said one of the advantages he felt was that when that becomes almost second nature, all of a sudden then you can start thinking the game a little bit differently and close gaps. And maybe is Jamie like one of the young players now coming out that have had all these years of, of learning about the biomechanics and skating and, and getting faster and quicker? Yeah, I think certainly. I think kids that are players in general that, that are good skaters are, certainly make the game a lot easier on them. Um, you know, they don't have to worry about getting areas of the ice or worrying about <clears throat> angles as much, but, you know, rather than now they can just focus on getting to a spot and having forcing someone to have to beat them. And, you know, I think especially for a guy like Jamie who who's able to get to areas so much quicker than a lot of his, his you know, his opponents and, you know, even guys that do ski, you know, on his level, he's able to, you know, make up that ice even quicker once someone, say, does get a step on him because he's able to angle off and, and close that gap and, and just beat him to a point on the ice. And, you know, I think skating coaching in general has come such a long way from, you know, from my years when in the 80s when, you know, you go out there with your figure skater in, in the local rank and there'd be about eight, nine, 10 kids out there just doing the same thing. Whereas now, you know, it's so individual based. You have your individual coach who just works on specific things for each individual player. And obviously everybody's skating strides a little bit different. And, you know, I think the coaches have become so, so well trained in this aspect of, of, understanding for one how the game's played and two just understanding each player's individual needs. Chris you also talked about um, Jamie's stats that they would have been a lot higher perhaps but he played uh, in different roles and you asked more of him. I'm wondering what your thoughts are if he needs another year coming back. Yeah I mean for each kid it's it's different Um, you know there's guys that step in earlier than other people thought and then there's guys that aren't quite ready or maybe aren't more as prepared as some people thought. I think Bowen Byron was a great example last year. I think everyone kind of had him penciled into Colorado's lineup and, you know, lo and behold, he gets sent back to junior and certainly didn't hurt him. And, you know, I think for Jamie's thing is he wants to be able to go in and and play important minutes. He doesn't want to have to go in and, and be a healthy scratch and, and be a guy that's maybe not relied upon as much as, as he is used to. Because uh, he is such a competitive kid and doesn't want to play so badly. So, yeah. you know, I mean, if we're fortunate enough to get him back as, as an 18-year-old, I think, you know, it'd be pretty easy to say, yeah, he he would be our, our you know, our best player, obviously. But, you know, have an opportunity to really be one of the best players in our league and, and be a guy that's showcased every night you know, how, how, not just how good our league is, but how good these players are at, at young ages and, and what they're able to contribute on a night in night out basis. And, you know, I, I don't think Jamie's, you know, far off from, from being an NHL player, but certainly I, I wouldn't break my heart if he got sent back. How do you think the uh, cancellation of the OHL season, Chris, affects players like Jamie heading into the draft. I know some teams have set up Zoom calls with top prospects. The Senators, who have a couple of first-round picks, said they're distributing videos, double-checking their lists. What would you like to know if you were in their position heading into really uh, uncertain, unchartered territory? Yeah, it's it's interesting, boy. I mean, you know, not just for the teams and the kids, but it's just it's the amount of, of – research that's going in right now I think a lot of the information they're typically getting from these interviews they're doing at the combine or or whatnot but 
you know, I think they're digging as far as they can. And, you know, I think important for me would be to find out what these kids are doing in their time off. Are they taking advantage of it or are they just, you know, sitting around playing video games and just treating it like a vacation. And for our players, it's, you know, certainly there's uncertainty about, you know, when this is all going to kick back up again, but we at least know it's not going to start till, you know, the summer's over and, you know, their summer training should be well in full swing by this point. But as a, as an organization that's, you know, unable to go in and, and meet with kids and families and see what they're all about, you know, it's, it's finding out really what they're doing, every day and what's your day entail you know what time you getting up when does your workout start and you know how you treating the rest of your day are you keeping your mind busy or you just you know kind of loafing around not getting much done and finally chris uh red wings fans might remember your father craig hartsburg a three-time all-star defenseman the captain of the minnesota north stars for seven of his 10 years from 79 to 89 right during the early years of the uh, Steve Eiserman era. He was also an NHL head coach with the Blackhawks, Mighty Ducks, and Senators, and is now an amateur scout with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, your dad never won a cup, joining a long list of Red Wings like Marcel Dion, Brad Park, Adam Oates, Cicerelli, Allman, Gatsby, Unger. Your dad retired at age 30 after knee surgeries, back injuries. And he ran into that Islanders dynasty, losing in the final in 1981. And as a coach, he led the Hawks and the Ducks during the Wings' run of cups, three cups in six years. So my question, Chris, is how difficult is it to win the Stanley Cup, maybe the Memorial Cup, OHL title? Here's a really uh, successful career, all the players that I mentioned. But you might have some thoughts about what your dad tried to aspire to do and just how difficult it is to win to win a championship. Yeah, it's I mean, it's something that I know in his career as as a player and coach, it's it's the one thing he wish he he would have been had the opportunity to do. And, you know, I think he was chasing it there, you know, towards the back half of his coaching career when he was more of an assistant coach at times. And and I mean, a lot of it is has to be the right pieces fall in place. I mean, I remember my dad's uh, first year in Chicago. They lost in the second round to Colorado, and uh, Tony Monte ended up breaking his leg, I think, in Game Four. And they went, to, and they end up playing Game Five. Went to double overtime. They end up losing that series in six. So you know, and that's year Colorado ended up going on to win the Stanley Cup. And you know, if Monte doesn't break his leg, they they win that overtime game in game five you right, know, right. It's, it's history a little bit different and you know it's it, it's just it's 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 such a you know the mistakes get magnified so much in in the national hockey league at, at, in playoff time and you know I think it's just it's one of those things you know last year St. Louis is at home game six thinking they got a chance to win at home ice. They end up losing, I think, the final score is 4-1. And then they go into Boston the next night. Their goaltender was lights out and really gave them an opportunity to win that game, and they did. And, you know, it's it's about players stepping up at the right time. It's about being healthy. It's about, you know, all those little things that yeah. kind of add up over the course of the year is, is kind of magnified and, and brought into play. And, you know, winning a championship at any level is, is difficult because – like I said, everything's got to fall in place. And unless you're a team that's just so much better than everybody else, every everything you feel at the end of the, the playoffs, and, and I was lucky enough to win two as a player, one 
I, I was MVP of the playoffs and the other one, I blew out my knee in the first round. So I didn't really go through the whole process of it, but you know, that first one you win, it's, it's, it's just, you're exhausted. And mm-hmm. I remember watching Wayne Gretzky's, I forget the name of the video, but as a kid and him talking about, you know, the Islanders, you know, after they won and, you know, they're walking by the room and they're sitting there beat up ice bags, barely celebrating. And, you know, you have a moment where after you win, where you're jubilant and you're going crazy. And then about, you know, half hour later, you're tired. Like you are exhausted. Chris, thanks for your time today. And, uh, Good luck when the season starts up again in training camp with the Otters. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. That's it for episode 25 of Octopulse, taking the pulse of Iserman's rebuild. Now officially in year two of the rebuild. Last week was April 19th. That marked one year since he replaced Ken Holland. Next week, we'll hear from Cider and Stutzel and the forwards. We'll also announce the winner of our free book on former Wings coach Scotty Bowman. Scotty, a hockey life like no other written by Ken Dryden. As always, look for Ted's coverage online at DetroitNews.com and in the paper. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you soon. 